I think photography is an interesting art form because it's an art form, but when you really look at it, you're actually documenting life. You know, you're, you're a history teller. You know, you're locking in history. Welcome back to Creative How, the podcast for curious creatives. We've got a great guest for you today. It's photographer Devin Allen. He gained a level of notoriety and fame after covering the Baltimore Uprising, which was spurred by the Freddie Gray tragedy. And his his work was featured on the cover of Time magazine. He published a book called A Beautiful Ghetto and received quite a bit of positive feedback and maybe wasn't even ready for that at that time. And that was the starting point for his astronomical growth as a photographer and artist. So please listen and enjoy this great episode. So Devin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Um, so let's get started. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the people who listen to this will probably have heard a little bit about your journey, but let's start anyway. How did you discover photography to begin with? Yeah, uh, photography was something that, you know, I never thought I would be into. You know, I didn't even know it was a thing you could actually make money from. You know, I don't know a lot of, where I grew up at, it, it wasn't a lot of artists around. And I had a good friend of mine who we played basketball together, you know, and he went, went away to Iraq, you know. So when he came back from Iraq, he was into poetry. And that was kind of kind of like my gateway into art in general. So, like, um, I would help him host, like, poetry nights um, in Baltimore. And then eventually I... Instagram was coming out, so we started taking pictures and using it to promote the night. And I would take them, and then I just fell in love with photography, and I just decided, like, I'm going to do this. You know, and it was just something that I just started YouTubing it, started studying it and reading books. And then my grandmother, I never knew how expensive photography was, so I went to go try to purchase my first camera, and I was it was like two grand. So I used my grandmother's Best Buy credit card to what, get my first camera. What was it about <laughs> photography? I think it was the human interaction, you know, because... I'm around people every day and then when they get that lens get on them, they interact differently with you. So I found myself like taking pictures at the poetry night and people would get even awkward and you really get to see like the people become vulnerable at a point. And I kind of fell in love with that. And just having a camera, you know, I found like the human interaction just was different. So like even if I was just walking from the car into my poetry night or just walk, having it on me, I would get approached like, are you a photographer or something? I just love like the conversation that it started. You know, and it, and it just brings positive energy also. Right. And a little bit of a tangent, but like given the rise of Instagram and everything, like what, as a society, what do you think? Why do we love photography so much? Um, I think I think photography is an interesting art form because it's an art form. But when you really look at it, you're actually documenting life. You know, you're you're a history teller. You know, you're locking in history, you know, then it was only now that I'm into photography and I've met like a lot of different journalists. My grandmother actually was a photographer because at every cookout family event, family reunion, she always had a disposable camera, take pictures and then go print them and put them in the family album. So it's something that is relevant in all different walks of life and in all families. It's Way probably been, never, never been more accessible, Yeah, I think. And, in, in a, in a, and as high quality as it is now for yeah. everyone, it's very democratizing at this point. Yeah, everybody plays a photographer at least once in their life. <laughs> That's interesting because way back then when you first started I've, I've noticed with people's Instagram accounts that they almost some have their own aesthetic and they probably don't even know that, you know, just yeah. regular people taking pictures. But when you started, did you start noticing that you had a particular eye or did you um, develop that intentionally otherwise? Um, 
Yeah, when I first started, um, I was, I fell in love with the work of Gordon Parks. And I loved how he maneuvered through multiple spaces because he can shoot journalism, but then he would shoot for Vogue, then turn around and shoot Muhammad Ali. You know, it's few photographers that actually move in that space. So I studied his work and that's kind of how I built my style, you know, my journalism style, even when shooting models or doing portraits, you know, watching his interviews and how he connected to people because some of the best photographers is not even the technical stuff. It's the fact that they can make people feel comfortable, you know, and then... That's kind of how I built my style because I'm able to, you know, take down that first layer of defense from people, make them feel comfortable. Right. And that's like art in itself, which it makes the photo fo- the makes the photograph even better. Right. You can tell when a person is tense and the person is more comfortable. And that's kind of how I built my style, shooting very I'm not one of those photographers that's like overburned. I'm very calm and I'm connect to the biggest thing is connecting to my subject. If I if I'm interacting with them or not. I think we've we've talked to some other photographers obviously we've worked with them in the past and and that keeps coming up as like maybe the unwritten like secret superpower of making people feel comfortable whether it's on set in front of it and just being that having that human um sort of interaction skill i mean i don't know that i (laughs) i personally have it but like it is it's 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 much less of the technical you know picture taking composition part and more of just getting people yeah, to un- unwind. It, it can be a, it's a, it can be a gift and a curse at the same time. You know, studying a lot of older street, like New York photographers, a lot of those was like guys was like obnoxious. Like they would just like run up to you, put the flash in your face. Right. And that still is an interesting photograph. You know, I came in with a photographer. He used to shoot um, Long Beach a lot. I think his last name was Garland. But he would like stand in front of you and like he don't know how to like work the camera and like we twisting it like... But the whole time he's like taking pictures of you and then people looking like, what is this guy doing? You know, and he's looking like an idiot, but he really is a good photographer so the whole right. time. He's acting like he don't know what he's doing. He's making you uncomfortable, but he's getting those moments. What's a, I think, you know, like we talked about beforehand, this is a lot about teaching other people how or teaching people in similar professions, um, new ways, better ways. So can you talk about a couple of times when you felt like you really did connect with the subject, whether it was a quote unquote regular person or even celebrities that you've shot? Yeah. Um, even, you know, going from being just like a street photographer, shooting people that I know, you know, even I would find myself shooting certain people that made me uncomfortable, you know, because of their energy. And it, it became like an issue, you know, like going from just doing it as a hobby and then saying, I'm going to pursue it. And then I, then it's like, oh, well, it's here now. This is your moment. You got to take these jobs, you know, and I'm shooting like Lenny Kravitz and like, behind the scenes stages and I'm getting paid for that. I'm uncomfortable because I look at these people like superstars. So it's like, I'm in my photographs, people love the photograph, but I know I'm uncomfortable and I could have did so much more to make it better. You know, it was just kind of, why, why are you uncomfortable? Because like, is it like, what if impo- I take a bad picture? Is it like imposter syndrome? Do you feel like you're there yet? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like all these opportunities coming real fast. And it's like, we need, you know, I'm shooting Afro punk and you're like, we need pictures of Lauren Hill. We need pictures of Grace Jones. And I got to like go talk to them. And it's like growing up, Grace Jones was like amazing to me, yeah. you know? And then like, I love Lenny Kravitz, you know, he's like actually oddly enough, one of my favorite photographers, you know, the way he photographs things. So I had to like, I'm just like this little like expiring now professional right. photographer right. trying to photograph these people. So sometimes I would be uncomfortable because I look at some of these people like iconic, you know, it's like, what if they don't like the picture, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. Do you still feel like that? Um, not so much. Not so much. My confidence, that's another thing, like just being an artist, you have to gain that confidence. 
you know, and then really believe in yourself. Once you, once you start believing in yourself, you really can't create any bad art because if you're confident in it, everybody else is going to believe it anyway. Yeah. You know, so. That's definitely a common theme we've heard from other creatives. And it's like, the advice is be confident, yep. but you can't sometimes be confident until after you've done things. So there's yep. that line that people have crossed that they're like, all of a sudden they're like, well, I'm the expert now, you know? Yep. So do you, do you feel like that now? Or are you nope. still exploring? No, that's a, another thing that, it's good to be confident, but always understand if you want to be like an amazing artist or you want to be one of the greats, it depends on what your goal is, but you always have to be a student of the craft. You can't never stop learning, you know? So it's certain things that I don't know. You know, you can get all the technical stuff, but you always, it's all about pushing yourself further and further and further and never becoming content, you know, if you want to be one of the best. So like me, I want to be one of the greatest photographers of all time if, if I can. So I'm constantly learning. You know, like working with kids and teaching kids photography, they don't worry about the technical stuff. They are, mm -hmm. it's very unique because it's so free, you know, and I even learn from them. So just always being willing to, you know, be confident, but always be willing to learn new things. Right, right. Where would you say your your biggest source of inspiration is right now? Um, um, Right now, I looked at a lot of painters, you know, like Salvador Dali, um, like, I was taking a whole bunch of notes. I've been watching a lot of art documentaries because I love the way painters, the symmetry and how they frame things and just the, 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 how they would take time. You know, photography is a very quick thing. You know, it's just a snack, you know, but painters, they, you know, they paint, they take a step back. You know, if they make a mistake, they, you know, like they just move differently from us. So I've been studying people like, you know, Francis Bacon, you know, um, Matisse, you know, Edward Hopper, David Hockney, like really looking at these guys and how they look at the world, you know, so I can retrain my eye to look at things differently, you know, from shooting the same thing over and over again, you tend to look at the world the same way from one, one view, but studying in painters and, you know, graffiti, different people from different mediums helps me move forward in my craft. It also inspired me to step into other mediums myself. That's interesting. I was reading an article about a director and I, now I can't remember who it was, but he was saying that he, um, you know what, it was Tony Scott and it was about true romance, the movie. I don't know if you ever saw that, but he was saying that he storyboarded and sketched himself for the day that he was shooting because he wanted to actually do exactly what you just said and frame it as if it was a picture that he was sort of painting himself. Right. And, um, he also said that actually helped actors understand the tonality of things better. So just an interesting reference that you're making. You mentioned about the eye and training your eye and, and, and helping the little kids. And, and where do you think your develop, your eye development came from? Um, I think I developed my eye just by being in a moment, you know, definitely in a digital world. I feel like even when I do like photography works and I'm working with my kids, they spend more time looking at the LCD screen than actually creating the image and they miss imagery. I think street photography helped me shake my eye because if I miss, I miss. And it's like that moment is gone. I can't, I can probably stage it, but the energy won't be the same. So just being in the moment and things are moving so fast. If I'm walking down the street and I see something that catches my eye, I have to move really quick. So that's kind of how I shake my eye to just see things and always observing what's around me. You know, instead of looking down at my phone all day or looking at the LCD screen, spend more time just looking out. Do you find yourself predicting? Yes, I'm like, it's like a weird. sports photographer, like, like, yeah, it's like, like <laughs> thinking too, like, because they're often say you've got to think a couple beats ahead. Yeah. Like know? even, you know, like, um, even before I started shooting, shooting like athletes, I found street photography, I had to predict what my def, what they were going to do. Right. You know, like if I, I would look and see, I call myself a people watcher because I watch people and I'm like, oh, this person is coming out the market. 
uh, they f- they might be fumbling their keys and I want to get the shot. So I got to predict where they're going to walk or, I'm, or I might have to pre-focus where they're going to be in a couple seconds. You know, so then when it came to shooting athletes, it's the same thing. You know, I've worked with Curry so much that I know when he's about to shoot, he, he has a certain mannerisms to his body that I can tell. You know, so it's just like also just studying your subjects. That's a big thing with photography, like understanding your subjects and stuff like that. Do you do a lot of prep work, like a lot of like research prior to yeah, getting like out I, on assignment? Yeah, before I before I do anything, I always try to prep. You know, I always like look at past imagery. You know, I like look at what's already been done. You know, because sometimes you can create something that's already in the world. You won't even know that it's out there. So no, so if I I try to do do things, and then if I it's something that I already have in mind, and I might find something similar to it, how can I make this better, or what can I change about it to make it mine? You know. So when you meet somebody, like you mentioned Stephen Curry, and you've mentioned Letting Kravitz and some others, obviously. What's your approach to them? How do you sort of establish a rapport with them? Yeah, it's um, it's tough. It depends. It's just about feeling the energy. Like I tell people, like that's something that you have to learn. Like you can tell when a person, and it's something that I learned from street photography and shooting protests. You can tell when a person don't want their picture taken or they're not comfortable. You know, and a lot of people really can't feel that energy. So when a lot of journalists or people that want to get into documentary work and journalism, it's like you got to feel the energy, you know? So like even the first time when I shot, shot Curry, it was difficult because he didn't know me and Curry's very, you know, laid back, very chill, very guarded. So like the first time I shot, I'm like, oh, he don't like me. And I, right. you know, people like the pictures. I didn't like him because I felt like he just was taking them because people was asking him to do, mm-hmm. you know, fast forward a couple of years now, you know, he's very comfortable around me. But when you don't have, you know, those moments or that time to really, you know, take down that barrier. You just got to be easy going. You can't. That's why I always tell like a lot of a lot of my journalist friends, like stop using those huge lenses because they are very, <laughs> they, they make people uncomfortable. So if you run up to like, you know, Lenny Kravitz or somebody with a, a 70 to 200, like can I take your picture? And you got the giant lens. It's like, that's intimidating. So sometimes using smaller things and smaller gadgets sometimes also takes take it down right. and feel more comfortable that, than just jamming the lens in their face. That's a good tip because I was going to touch on like your, your, your weapons of choice per se, you know, the Leica and, yeah. and obviously your phone. Uh, how did you decide on those? Was it literally because of the, of the minimalist sort of nature of them? Yeah. Like I, when I, I wasted so much money when I first started just because I was like, I want that, I want my, I want the biggest camera and the biggest lens, you know, like I want, I need this, I need that. It's like I didn't need all these things. So I found myself, you know, maxing out credit cards for stuff that I ended up not really using to actually having too much stuff actually messed me up. So like I, like when I used to go out, I would have like a 5D, whole bunch of lenses and I would be changing lenses so much and like, like I'm missing shots, you know, and so eventually, just being out and just seeing like how people interact, and I started to go smaller. So I started using my phone for some things, and I use a smaller camera bodies. It's lighter. And then when I start studying older photographers, I don't want to be one of those photographers with the hunchback. So that's another big thing. I don't <laughs> right. like carrying all that equipment. Right. Good posture. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so I simplified because I can move faster. So I can move faster and then... I love living in a moment. So a lot of the content, I like to turn it around really, really fast to get it out in the world because the world moves fast. So, you know, even during protests and stuff like that, I would shoot stuff, try to get the best shot possibly in camera without doing a lot of post-processing and then Wi-Fi to my phone and just upload it so I can move faster than other outlets. And that's where kind of like then my style kind of evolved. But then fast forward now, like I 
the phone is in your hand more than anything else. So sometimes yeah. the phone is what you have. And um, depending on what you're doing, like I've done projects off my phone and when I, I went a whole year without one, you know, and still that's, was able to get, wow. the, get the job done. I mean, that's amazing advice. I feel like the, you know, like Sean said, we've talked to some other photographers and, you know, it's our line of work too, to a degree. And it's intimidating to not have equipment. I think for some people who might not have your experience at this point, but for you to be sort of light and kind of nimble seems like really, really interesting advice. And especially the way you embrace a phone versus some photographers who look down on that, you know? So for a kid, for example, who's looking to do this or some other creative who wants to be a photographer too, that's amazing yeah, advice. That goes back to the thing about always evolving and always learning. You can stay yeah. like me. I'm, I'm a like a shooter all day. You know, I like, Blood, sweat, and tears safe in my life. I love it. It's my main weapon. It's simplistic, but it's still full frame, and I can still sell imagery from it. But it's always good to embrace other mediums and other other tools. You know, look at all the photographers that were shooting film. It's like, I'm not going digital. It's not going to be a thing. And, you know, you look at some of these guys, you know, 10 years later, they're struggling trying to get into the digital the digital world. Now, students, something new is always good. Just even if you don't like it, just try to learn it. Play with it. You know, it's, I done played with so many guys, just tested so many different things out. And it might not be a thing. It might not blow up and be the next thing, but I can at least say I know how to work it. You know, and it's it's being having an open mind to yeah. change because what's happening now yeah. might not be what's happening ten years. Just like those guys, yeah. what, what are we going to be working with ten years yeah. from now? You know, when you look at it, early two thousand, early two thousands, you they was making like. 10 megapixel cameras. Now that's in your phone. Yeah, and that's right. only like yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I want to hop back real quick. Um, cause you kind of briefly mentioned, but let's, let's go a little deeper on your style. Right. And it's, and just in the short time we've known you, we've, we've seen it evolve and obviously, and probably that's a little bit due to maturity yep. and probably access to different scenarios that yep. you had before. But if you could kind of get your arms around it now and in, in sort of a concise way, what would that, what would you say that yeah, is? Yeah, I think pressure, you know, like going out and doing things, um, definitely being like an amateur photographer and like having a, the chance to like shoot for Under Armour, you know, shoot for, go back and freelance for like BuzzFeed and doing things that, you know, I didn't go to school for. So these are things I had to learn fast. So just that pressure forces you to get better. So like a lot of people get comfortable. You can't get better if you feel like something you can't do, you got to go out and at least try to do it. So even just different workflows or being in positions has made my work better. I could have just been comfortable after the time coming and say, I'm gonna just keep shooting stuff like this. But it's like, I want to get better. So I need to go into situations that I know that mentally I can't handle, but I'm going to do my best to try and handle those things. You know, that's part of part of growing. Once you stop growing, that's when you really fail. It's all you got to keep growing, keep growing. You know, like um, I run into a lot of photographers that's like still growing. You know, these guys are in their 60s. You know, like I talked to some guys from like Magnum, you know, like those guys still trying to get better. They're not like, oh, I'm already, you know, I got all these awards, but it's like I'm still trying to get better. And that's what. The greats do. That's so, inspiring. Yeah. yeah. So like even, you know, like a lot of people are like, you already got a time cover. What more can you do? You know, it's like, what do you mean? There's so much more I can do. Right. You know? So like it definitely just from shooting sports, that's like a whole nother space. You know, like it's still kind of, I still documentary style, but like running a set, you know, and now dealing with a stylist and dealing with all these different emotions. Or now not even creating for myself. I'm creating for a brand. I'm creating for people. I have to appease someone else with my art. So now it's like you have to think with and with, you have to think for and for other people and with other people. So now it's not just you. It's like might be five people on one project and we got to make it happen. But working with multiple, multiple people 
also makes you better as a creator because you're constantly learning. You know, working with a stylist, I learned certain things. Or working with an art director, I learned how to look at things. You know, like I didn't know how to move board before I came to Under Armour, but now I know how to move board. I know how to do all these things. But if, let's say if I was comfortable, I wouldn't even took the shot or even try to learn these things. So would you say like putting yourself in, in very uncomfortable positions yes. is something you go and you seek out? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. It, so that's like, I would say that's large part correct courageous. So for, for a, a beginning photographer who's probably listening to this courage and yeah. just a good people skills are, are probably two very important bedrock skills to, to kind yeah. of, I feel like it's a lot of amazing artists out here. I feel like a lot of them just give up. Like it's like they about to hit, about to be, make this, meet this pivotal moment and they just don't have the confidence or they give up right when they're about to get there. Cause you never know. It's all about preparation. You know, like if I didn't go downtown or if I didn't know, still know the technical stuff of photography, aperture, shutter speed, eyes. So I would never capture that the image in the first place that set it off. But what if I, I was there and wasn't prepared, you know, and really was a student of the craft, I would have missed that opportunity. So I feel like a lot of people miss opportunities by being comfortable or fear. You know, you gotta if you really want to be in the art world, you know, like you gotta let go of all that. You know, you have to really put it on the line, you know, and really make sacrifices. It's, uh, you know, Sean asked the question about your style and your answer was about pressure, which I think is really, really cool and interesting. Yeah. Can you give us, um, you know, paint a picture of a situation where you kind of felt that, where you got somewhere and you're like, this is unfamiliar and maybe you're working with somebody who's intimidating in some way and how, how you handled it? Yeah, it's been two scenarios definitely last year that really helped me, you know, that really shaped me, you know, um, maybe maybe three. Um the biggest one is like becoming a Gordon Parks fellowship, you know, and, and having to do a show with them. And it's like, this guy's like my idol. I study all his work and now y'all deeming me the modern day version of him and they big shoes to fill, you know? And I'm like, I never forget. I was like, I had to do a talk. I had everything written down in the palm of my hand, but I sweated it all out. <laughs> and I'm like, I look down, it's like Harry Belafonte, Chelsea Clinton, like in the front row. And I'm like freaking out, you know? And that was something that like, I, I was super nervous, but then then, once again, facing my fear, I ended up doing an amazing show with those guys and it kind of took me to the next level. I could have just opted out, got my $10,000 grant and then be like, I don't want to talk in public. I just want to, you know, but let's take it to the next level. Yeah. And I think another pivotal moment, you know, that kind of shaped me and made me better is running my first set at Under Armour, you know, the Forge Project and working with Gustavo on that, like where I actually was a part of, because I always, when things get to me, it's about everything is already built out, right. you know, that, that, that's a whole nother monster in itself, building all that creativity before it's even shot. So to sit with Gustavo and see how his mind worked, how we put things together down to picking the model selections and locations, you know, like that was tough, you know, like, like certain people believed in me, but deep down in the back of my mind, I was telling myself, like, you really can't pull this off, right. you know, but you have to pull it off. And I could have, you know, told my boss, I can't handle this too much, but it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. You know, I just set my mind to it and I, I'm going to just bang it out. You know, that was a big one. And um, recently working with BuzzFeed, um, I've, I was working on the opiate crisis, which is also something that opiates has affected my life growing up. But um, being doing like long, hard, traditional journalism, you know, which I feel like it's an art form that is dying because media moves so fast yeah. now. People don't have time to really dive in and really get those stories. But for six months, you know, I followed uh, a recovering heroin addict. I went to his meetings. I met his family. I stayed night over his house. I was documenting his life for six months. So that's a good, I actually had a question about that. And it leads me to, it's a question about objectivity. 
when you're in photojournalism? What, what role does that play? Is it, is that important? Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting when I, so when I started like getting into journalism, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, because sometimes you might have to cover things that go against your moral code and values. So like me, I'm yeah. very picky on the jobs I take, but I know journalists that take anything. You know, because it's about getting a check, you know, but like for me, it's like some certain stories I can't tell. And I know that. So like I will pass the job off to somebody else. It's just my moral compass. You know, like the Women's March, I was asked to cover the Women's March and do all this stuff. Kind of similar to what I did for Baltimore. But it's like I'm not a woman. I don't know what a woman goes through in the workplace. I don't know these things. So why don't you reach out to a woman photographer? I can send you some options, There's, you know, stuff like that. Certain things I feel like in journalism, that's what I miss about like people like Gordon Parks and when they had, you had life and all these other, these journalists would like dive in and sink their teeth in and cover a story for a year, two years, longer than that. You know, now you don't have that, have that time. So I think we're, we're more talking about empathy. So if you feel like you can empathize with the subject, Mm -hmm. you feel more comfortable taking the assignment versus like you said, use the women's example. You you weren't able to empathize. So you, you felt the right thing to do was, yeah, to pass the decline. job on. Yeah. yeah, because I could have, but I don't think it would have been more more impactful. You know, like the reason why the work I did in Baltimore around the uprising was so impactful is because me and Freddie Gray have mutual friends. I grew up in the community. I understand how it ticks. So why would I try to, I don't know how what women go through on a regular day basis. Yeah, I have a mom, I have a sister, I have a daughter, but I don't really, you don't really, as men, we really don't know. You know, like yeah. we hear stories, but we really don't have that, that certain type of attachment. So em- empathy is key. Yes. But objectivity is also key. Yeah. It's, to certain people, yes. Yeah. For me, I'm real big on empathy. That's why when everything happened for me, you know, I, I pick multiple career paths. You know, like I pick unarmored. You know, that's a personal goal for me. Also, it's, a, it's good for my community. Coming from Baltimore in a place where photography is not even in the school system and then being able to work for like a company like that, that inspires everybody back back in my community. Like if he can do it, you know, and I picked up photography at 24, 25 years old. I'm 30 now. So I've been doing it for five years. And he's like, oh, he's successful and that's his job. And he does a good job at it. You know, but I still make sure that I have my personal art. So like sometimes definitely as artists, you got to learn how to navigate all these different spaces to be successful. The commercial side of it, you know, all these different things. That's why I like when I decided to come to Unarmor, Batista was like, you got all this stuff going on. Why do you want to come to Unarmor? It was like, because I want to learn the commercial side of it. I want to get better. And plus, I got all the cool equipment and I get to travel. So I'm like, I want to come <laughs> to UA. So as, as an artist, you got to learn how to- Yeah, me, Steph. Yeah, you got to learn how to navigate and multitask, yeah. you know, and be able to do both. Well, that's cool. Because I think what you're saying is, you, without saying it, you're considering your personal brand. Yeah. You're, you're, you're being very strategic about the choices you're making, which I think is super cool. Um, and at such a young age- like, I don't think you get that a lot. I know I, I honestly don't know if I could sit here and say at 25, I'm, I was working out the machinations of all the decisions I was making at that point. Yeah. yeah that, that's, that's one thing that I learned just from, just from life, like growing up in the city, how to just, just study, you know, like, like for me, like I, like I sold drugs in Baltimore, you know, in my late teenage years, but I was good at it because I knew how to watch other people that were good at it. Mm-hmm. So when I, Anything that I do, I always just study it first. So like even going into the art world, I knew that I just didn't want to shoot. I didn't want to shoot weddings. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to just like shoot like Vixen models or stuff like that. 
when I went into this, I said, I want to be like Gordon Parks, you know, and I, around that time I found out about Bosky, Andy Warhol, I started finding all these artists. I was like, I want that lifestyle. I want, <laughs> I want to make artists money. I want to be free. I want to create from the heart and live off something that I love. You know, I don't want to be stuck in a cubicle because I did that. I worked at Transamerica for like four years and I was like, I do not want to be pushing checks for the rest of my life. So when I went into this, it's, it's this long-term goal. So that's what another thing a lot of artists need to understand, like study the craft, be able to create. But I never forget, a photographer told me, he's like, you're going to spend 40% creating the work. 60% is networking and kissing ass. So you got to <laughs> learn how to network and navigate and decide what, what, your, what you want your brand to be. Yeah. Like, are you in it for just like a quick couple dollars? Because you're going to crash and burn if you chase the money right off the back. The money is going to come. But you have to have a long strategy. You know, if you look at people like Andy Warhol, everybody knows like the later Warhol, you know, the real monotone, very quiet, you know, turtleneck. But they but they don't know about Andy Warhol that got shot and had to reinvent himself multiple times and had to got his nose done. They don't talk about that Andy Warhol. They talk about at his peak. And it's the same right. thing with Picasso. Longevity. People talk about the peak Picasso, but no one talks about how he didn't want to evolve and incept. American artists, you know, and that kind of towards like his last couple shows, people didn't re really wasn't feeling it, you know. So it's like it's a, it's a art is a is a long journey, you know, and you just got to buckle up. You're gonna be some days. I might have a whole bunch of jobs, and I'm like, my money is top notch right now. I'm fine. Go buy a new camera, and then some days it's like, well, ramen noodles, chill out, you know, like that's and good insight, and, and yeah. be humble enough to do that, yeah. but but also stay the course. Yeah, because the art world, even back in the 80s, the art world was moving pretty fast. Now it's like fast, fast, fast. And it's very, and it's way more commercial and it's way more on the forefront of everything now. You know, if you look at um, voting in post-Trump, you know, it's so many artists that have platforms that are basically using art to, and have reached presidential, you know, st status and that powerful that it actually affects what art is affecting who people vote for. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I feel like, to your point, Sean, it's, I think it's rare that people have a vision for the long term. I mean, especially artists, honestly, because you want a lot of people want immediate response and hopefully positive response and then what comes with it. And if they get that, that's what they keep doing yeah. to your point. So I, I think that's amazing. But I feel like along the way, there must have been some mistakes, you know, so oh, can you talk about mistakes. a few things that we, you may have done wrong and learned from? I think my worst mistake is that I didn't. I suck at emails, and then I, that's something. That's something I learned at work. If I don't think if I ever would have got it worked out, I know my my emails. I still suck at it, but I'm getting better. But you know, a lot. I of like the self awareness. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't experience it, but okay, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, the thing. Thing is, is make the mistakes. You know, own them. You know, like I, I've like been lazy sometimes or I done missed a lot of opportunities or took the wrong opportunities, you know, I done burnt bridges, you know, and I can't rebuild those bridges, you know, and a lot of, a lot of my mistakes were because I was big headed, you know, after the time when I first got, I was like this, you know, I was big headed at the time, but life always be a reality check. You just got to be willing to see it. You know, because when I had a time cover, it was like interview, 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 doing this, doing that, doing that. You know, and I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is, this is my life now. But it like slowed down. And then I dived back into my emails. I missed a lot of opportunities. <laughs> right. So like my biggest thing is for artists, like even if you hit that, take your time. Like don't rush it. Like take your time. Because I was rushing and then 
2015 went bad, passed so fast. 2016 came, was like, oh, I got to do a show, you know. And even with the show, you know, I thought I was just going to just throw it up, you know. And I was like, that's not the case. My prints didn't come back how I wanted them. The tones were off, and that's from me, you know, think relying on other people like, you got it, you know, y'all paying for it, y'all just pay for everything. And that's when I was like, oh no, I really have to do this myself, you know? And that was me rushing and trying to do everything, trying to travel, travel everywhere. And, but my biggest thing is just slow down. Is that, is that a commentary and also in just like professionalism? Yeah. And you just, have to be, I, I think, I think I, I've re- I watched too many interviews as artists and having like that nonchalantness, you know, like I watched Radiant Child by Basquiat multiple times and how he just was like, I'm, I'm the best painter right now. Like I'll just do whatever. And I, I think I kind of watched that too many times and they kind of fell in, <laughs> I fell into that kind of that groove. Like they can handle it. It's my art. I shouldn't have to put it up. You know, you put it up, put that over, you know, and I think I was, and then I was like, well, let me take a step back. Then I had to realize this is actual my brand. Like who is that? Yeah, I was Allen? just gonna say for everything you just said about yeah. how strategic you were, this seems yeah. like in a really big oversight. Yeah. For somebody who's very maniacal about their brand, it sounds like. Yeah, like because you know, when you think about it, it's like I once again as a as a long, long game. I thought I was done. I thought I I thought the work was done. I'm just gonna just get all these jobs, everything is gonna be at my fingertips. And that's right. not the case. I still had a lot more work to do. And that's when I took a step back 2016 after everything, and it was like I need to, I need mentors. That's another thing. Like, don't be too proud to ask for mentors. Like, I have a lot of mentors. And I, I've thought I knew, once a thing, I thought I knew everything, you know? And no, I had to go put my pride to the side, go talk to certain people that can help me. Talk to Aaron Bryant, who gave me a crash course in the history of photography. Um, then turned out, and that's how I got all my work in the Smithsonian, you know, from from taking down my pride, going to talk to this amazing curator. And he was just like, this is what you need to do. This is how you map it out. And then he sat down, wrote for my book. He the one who actually like oversaw like me putting my images together. You know, like, like we would sit in City Cafe in Baltimore and he, we and him would just fuss about images. He would tell me why this images is better. You know, like, or having mentors like Jeffrey Kent, who's an amazing painter um, in Baltimore, who's like mentoring me and teaching me the ins and outs on how to sell sell art like don't sell your art now you need to sit on it you need to map it out you need to do all these different things because you have to have it's a business you know and i think a lot of artists where they fail at is their business is not in order you know um we've heard that we've heard that that needs that needs time and attention as well um then i think maybe just naively never really thought about that that like that nearly 40 50 percent of the time is realizing that it's a business yeah you have to we spend so much time worrying about the creation yeah. Like like this year, I'm not trying to really accept any projects. This year for me personally, my personal brand, I've been studying galleries. Like a lot of photographers don't know that world. That get it, they don't understand how galleries work, how prints work, understanding different papers and stuff like that. Do you know how they work? I'm learning. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's, that's yeah. why like in the towards um, last year, it was like take a step back and I hung with a lot of painters, studied papers, printed out on a lot of different paid papers, tried different things, and also just studying galleries because galleries is a whole nother world. You can make a lot of money, but the thing is with photography, it's different from selling one painting. You know, with photography, we're selling prints of an image. So a lot of photographers, you know, that I've met can't even get into the gallery world because they're known as they burnt people because they're not numbering their prints. They don't know that they need a deed to go with it. It seems like you're kind of like realizing things and then thinking I've got to go learn how to do that. So for example, this uh, world of galleries and selling things there and prints and all that stuff. Um, I mean, how do you go about doing that? 
Yeah, um, it's it's a, it's something that's I think definitely is photographer. A lot of photographers overlook that space, and they really don't understand it. You know, because once again, spending so much time creating it, and um, definitely a lot of my generation photographers. You know, I came in with Instagram and Twitter. You know, and Facebook. Whereas those like the older generation, you know, they had to get their work in the physical world. You know, the thing is, you got to get your world in the physical world. So people are getting caught up in Instagram just about likes and everything else. And it was like, you have to sell this stuff if you really want to make money. But the thing is, with, with the galleries, it's, it's, you can't just walk into a gallery and say, I, I want to sell some work. You know, you got to really go out, network, meet these people. I think a lot of people miss out on that human interaction now, you know, because of social media. They think because we follow each other and I might like a couple images, vice versa, that we're buddies and we can do business together. And it's like, no, you know, that's the biggest thing that I learned from just going to, you know, going out and then like really like, if if I get invited to something, I am going, you know, like it really dawned on me when I got actually do like a random talk, you know, once again, I'm, Another big thing, make yourself accessible. That's the first thing. I was so hard to get in contact with because I didn't have like, I have multiple emails and, right. you know, if you, if you can afford an assistant, get one, you know, but <laughs> yeah, this lady named Jenna was, was trying to get in contact with me. And, um, luckily she got in contact with me, asked me to do a talk. So I came, did a talk, went amazing. And next thing I know, I got an invite. She's like, Hey, you know, come up to New York. I'm doing a private tour to Whitney. You know, and I never been to the Whitney. And I'm like, well, are you paying for a hotel? And she's like, no, I, I should, I just, you know, rent it out and I invited like a special list. And I'm like, ah, do I really want to catch this train up and then like pay for my own hotel out of my own pocket? Yes, I'm going to do it. And I right. went and I got to network. So then I get to network, I get to meet. I met some gallery owners, people that sell, some people that buy, you know, and that's how you have to go and understand it. Then me studying on a lot of painters. Because they're painting and then they might sell a paint for ten or $20,000, you know. And I've been to auctions where, like, I watched Gordon Park sell. Somebody bought a picture for $14,000 of a of, of preprint. And that goes into the business side, like, knowing when your work was shot. Like, calibrating your cameras and make sure you got the right date. Because all that stuff is essential when you oh, sell it. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, a lot of photographers, I've talked to photographers that, that actually had a chance to get in the gallery space. But, once again, you got to study these spaces. And then... In that world, it's all about about scarcity. You know, like if you do a, an addition of images, you might print five and that might be it. So you might gift one to a gallery or to a museum and then so you can sell the rest. It rises the stock of the image huh. about who already has it. I've always had a question about that. <laughs> and that's just me being a layman. How do they control the reprints? You control that. So you have to make sure all your paperwork is in order. So like, for instance, I haven't sold any time covers, you know, because I know what it's projected to make eventually one day, you know, so I'm sitting on, sitting on a lot of my stuff. But now that I'm, I'm this year, I'm going into selling. So now you have different ways you can do it. You have additions, you have artist proofs, what they call APs. Um, and then you might say, all right, this is an addition of five in this size. And it, you might can do second edition, but a lot of photographers, they just go off and just start printing a whole bunch of stuff and just right. sell it. Huh. So now you don't really know where your work is. And let's say somebody say, all right, I want this picture and I got five grand right now. And you like, yeah. He's like, did you make any other copies? And you you know you made other copies. And the photographers say, no, 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 because they think they're not going to find out. The gallery world is very connected and more than what people think it is, definitely from outsiders yeah. looking in. I done met painters that know everybody in my, my... And I'm like, how you know these people from Baltimore? You know, and... Perfect example: A photographer sold for five, sold one piece of five thousand. 
Then he tried to get into a gallery. Nobody won him because the he's because he's he's selling print the print same print for a hundred dollars, and then somebody bought it for five thousand dollars. But the print is not really worth anything because it's like right. fifty of them roaming around now. So that brings down the price. Uh, okay. So now this big time collector who possibly could have been. You know, help you sell more pieces. Yeah. You done. That's considered you burnt them. Burnt that's the bridge. Yeah. You know, so that's a. St- Always wondered about this. Yeah, like because you see the little number and you're like, yeah. Oh, so like even like, for me, really, when I I donated because it's all about where your work is. Also, so like um, do, I donated a lot of my work to the Reginald Ralph Lewis Museum. I did a show with Studio Museum of Harlem where I don't they they printed up the stuff. So I just give file numbers. So I don't actually print it myself. I give them file numbers and it's in their permanent collection. So now that's in the permanent collection, if I say, oh, you want to buy this image, it's in this museum, this museum, and in this collection, that that takes the price up. Yeah, that's oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's it's, it's, wow. Yeah. yeah. We just it's, got deep. Yeah, that's why I say it's a- It's like a stamp of approval. It's yeah. in these, and, and then people want that yeah. because then it becomes a talking point. Yeah, and then like, the, and it, it, that's why I say it's longevity. Yeah. You know, you can make a quick dollar or you can sell for a hundred grand game. later on down yeah. the line. <laughs> You know, I'm literally, I literally, while you were talking, I was like, what can I do that I can sell to the gallery? I want to make prints of something, but I don't think I can do that. Hand puppets? No, that's another, yeah. that's, a, that's another thing about art. It's, it's not like sports. Like, you, you know, you play basketball, obviously your knees get bad, right. you know, you get beat up. Art is something you can do at any age. You never too late to get into the art world. Right. Never too young, never too old. That's why I love it so much. That's good stuff. Yep. Uh, I, I wanted to kind of circle back a little bit and I don't want to get it like, too heavy, but I also had a question just in, in researching you and just knowing that the culture we're in and, and obviously the three of us that we, we work in and every day. And that's the question about high fashion appropriating street culture. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to <laughs> just kind of throw that out and hear you talk about it because we, we've never sat down and had, had a discussion like this. It's yeah. usually, you know, we're, we're running a mile a minute, but yeah. how, how is that, that appropriation of that culture to build these brands? Maybe Unauthentically, yeah, yeah, very. Un- it's, it's 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 a weird space. Like even if you look at you know the, in the African American community, a lot of things that were once made people fear, you know, black men. Like if I'm walking down the street with a mouthful of golds and a do rag on my head with my pants sagging, you know, they're like, oh, you know. But now it's like, and you look in Vogue and the Gucci photo shoots, it's you know they're wearing bandanas now. You know, the high fashion world is is it's an interesting space because. It's just recycle ideas from different places. Once again, people do good research. You know, that's, you know, some people call it culture, culture roaches and stuff like that. But, you know, but once again, these are trends that, that in like certain things in my community will always be there. It will, into certain people won't be cool anymore. Certain things are cultural and some things are trends. You know, cultural things never going to change. You know, it's always going to be embedded yeah. into the culture, you know, music. Even in the style, it's still certain things that's there. Um, but once again, longevity, when you really dive in and you're able to stamp into these spaces, then you, it's, it's, you can always revive it. Right. So you are, you, are you you cautious with the brands you associate yourself with, yes. making sure that there's a deeper authenticity there and a deeper connection? And it's not just that culture vulture sort of uh, mantra or, or, or mindset? Yeah, like I definitely, anybody that I work with, it just got to feel right. You know, I, um, I've been asked to work with certain brands that I didn't align with or it just was, I know they just wanted to use me just for like, oh, we're going to use him because just to check a box, you know, like it, it has to be deeper than that for me. You know, and I, it's a lot of creative stuff and they need to understand that because like you're worth more than what you, you, you give off. 
You know, it's like, are you getting something in return? Are you making social change? Like, what do you really want to do? You, you know, like I see a lot of brands hook up with per, a person that's like, now they popping. You know, this person might be gone here and gone tomorrow because they didn't make the right moves. You know, and it's like, oh, we're going to just give them a shoe and then throw them on his way. We're you know? in the age of collaboration, yeah. right? So and so X, so and so, right? And it's 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 every day. Yeah, but it's but but when you think about back in the day when like how many people really had a shoe? Like even when you think about basketball players and football players and you think about like Bo Jackson who played multiple sports who had multiple different types of shoes. You know, like I feel like eventually that's going to die out because it's 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 oversaturated. Like I I pray for the day that the world gets back to real collaborations. You know, and I think a lot of that was started. Street fashion really started a lot of that quick collabs, like Supreme, just collab with anybody. It has no type of, they don't have a, no moral compass or code. It's just like, we just want to create whatever. You know, we will take whatever, create whatever. It doesn't matter. I love that you said that moral compass. Yeah. Because that's that's really, really huge. Yeah, you I need think- to collab with somebody that aligns with, with, the, with the brand. Yeah. You know, if they don't align with the brand, even if they might have a lot of followers, like, and, then, and a lot of people don't know they shooting themselves in their foot because when these followers are out the window, what do you have? Do you have anything that's tangible? You know, and that's like, you could be the, let's say you're the greatest photographer in the world, but you lose all your hard drives and all your, and you lose, you don't have a lot of your work. You don't know how to, you didn't file your stuff right. And everything is just strictly on social media and social media crashes. What do you have? Do you have anything that's tangible? Yeah. You know, have you, yeah. have you been on the short end of any of that? Yeah, yeah. Your, so far in the mm-hmm. five years. Yeah, I've, I like, I had been promised things that didn't go the way, you know, the way that I thought it would go. I've been, I've had, it's, it's been, it's tough. You know, I've worked with brands that they wanted to use me because of, you know, my background. You know, like oh, and 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 they don't, they're not even into the art. They just like oh, he has, he had this hard life. You know, or like he's from the wire. So like, let's use him to sell this product. Right. Like I'm not, I don't, I won't do it, you know? And how do you, how do you sniff that out? It's, it's really hard. It's, you got a lot of people. I have a lot of meetings and that's, that's one thing that I learned from people like Michael Skolnick, um, or just, I learned a lot of that from like Brown Bourne and, and Batista before I even worked with Anam. It was just multiple meetings, multiple meetings. You know, I would just come and hang out, you know, talk to Brian, talk to Ron Johnson. We would just talk about Baltimore, how to make it better, you know, or sitting with Kevin just talking before I even, you know, I, and I was like, you know, from looking from the outside in, a lot of people don't know how Under Armour ticks. You know, I got to see how it ticked and it was like, I'm from Baltimore, it's a Baltimore brand. Because I had other brands interested, but I'm like, this is a Baltimore brand, it's in Baltimore, it allows me to stay in Baltimore and I can, I'm way more inspirational at Under Armour than somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, and, and also just, a lot of stuff just aligned. Yeah. You know, or working with camera brands. You know, like I look at a lot of camera brands. Like I I had I used to shoot with Fuji, but I was collaborating with Instagram and they took me to uh do this talk and look through festival, which was it used to be this amazing photography. It was like spring break for photographers. You're talking about everybody from National Geographic, New York that Times, ESPN. I was just gonna say my, my imagination is running like, wild right now. Facebook was there. You're talking about house party, pool parties, a lot of whiskey. <laughs> with cameras. With <laughs> cameras. With yeah. cameras. <laughs> Had so much fun. Like you do lectures all day. You got I gotta meet like Larry Larry Fink played his harmonica for me. Huh. Like I, um, wow. David Harvey from Magnum, I got to like see him talk, you know, and see all these photographers talk about their work and their and their process and do these lectures. But then we party hard, right? And I will never forget when I when I got there, and this when I really understood how powerful I am as a as a person. 
I'm working with Instagram. And no, I'm on my high horse. I just got a time cover. So I'm meeting all these photographers. Like, what do you shoot with? He's like, well, Fuji's here. Go talk to Fuji. They need to sponsor you. And when I went to Fuji and they was like, oh, we don't sponsor photographers. We're not fans of your work. We feel like your work is negative. I'm like, that kind of crushed my heart. You know, I'm like, wow, my work is negative. So I talked, I went to go talk to like some more well-seasoned photographers. Some of those guys shoot like politics and stuff like that. And they was like, and this was, it was a reality check. And he was like, yeah. look, you're an amateur photographer. Uh, a lot of people know your work. A lot of, we all know you. A lot of people in the photography know you now. They think you're going to be a one-off. It's like, it's like to be honest, really honest, you're a black kid from Baltimore and you got, the cover time magazine you're amateur you don't have no formal training no they're not going to sponsor you he's like and they do have a sponsorship program they sponsored my friend that's shooting cape town he was like but you that's when i realized my work wasn't done and also my brand don't align with them what what was the um it's funny you just made me think about that the amateur label when was that taken away when did when did that uh, more i guess more specifically when did that group feel comfortable taking that away i think it was funny because i got a lot of I got a tap like on social media. And that's the funny, the odd thing. These are guys who consider themselves like journalists and have big hearts and they do the work of the world. But I was getting attacked. I can understand, you know, I'm doing photography for three years, you doing it for 10 and never got a time cover. And I'm the third amateur that I understand, but I, that's not my fault. Right. You know, like the biggest thing about photography is you got to be there. Yeah. You know, you got to be there. But um, I think, I think a lot of people, a lot of people start taking me seriously once probably by like, to be honest, probably like last year, to be honest. Really? I think a lot of people were still calling me an amateur in, in that space. In that space. Wow. Because that's hard. And that's yeah, rough. Yeah. I think once I when they saw it's all about and, and it's, it's, well, was there like one specific moment, one specific project? Um that, I I think they were just like, Oh, he's not he's not gonna be around for a while. I think when they start really seeing me and then I start getting stamps from these other people, and it's 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 super annoying because it's like I need other people to validate me that I'm good. So it's like when well, I think once I joined the Gordon Parks Foundation, that validated me. Mm-hmm. Then um, me working at Unarmor validated me. And it was like, well, that's one stamp. You need like five. It's like even when you think about actors, when the actors trying to get, yeah. they got to get all these stamps before they become like in their little, the little uh, sag. sag. Yeah, you yeah. got to get all these different things. Yeah. It's the same thing in the photography to get that respect. You got to like really pay dues, and I'm yeah. still paying dues right now to get certain respect. And I think a, a, a big stamp came is like when Magnum reached out, yeah. and now that you know. A brand that aligns. Um, I got my first Leica in 2016, and then I gave it to another aspiring photographer. Then Swiss Beast gave me his Leica, and then I bought my first Leica last year. Now I have a show with Leica. That's a brand that respects the the photography world. It has a long tradition of that. That's back to brand alignment. I, I was going to say, like, <laughs> it doesn't get much more hotter than a stamp from Leica. Yeah, the stamp from Leica <laughs> yeah. was just like, all right, well, okay. It's now, really- yeah, but it took me... It's, it's 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 one of those things where people always want to doubt you. And yeah, I love it. Like me, you know, I love it. You know, like people see the work that I produce now, and it was like they look back and they're like, "He's really growing." We still we still need to see a little bit more. Well, it you goes know, back I, to that complacency. Yeah, like don't be complacent. Yeah. So if you keep hearing that sort of bulletin board material, yeah. so to speak, then you, you're going to keep putting yourselves yeah, and, and feeling like you haven't arrived. So yeah. maybe that's maybe that's that is a. That, sort of competitive edge that you have now. Yeah. And then even still, I tell, I make fun of where all the photographers are like, dude, 
20, 30 years from now, I can guarantee I'm going to be more remembered than all of you because of all the cameras I'm putting in kids' hands and how many other photographers and kids that are kids now that I'm invested in right now yeah. that's going to carry my legacy. That's the right. biggest thing. They're going to be a part that's of awesome. legacy. Of that. You know, I'm a, big, I'm a part of Gordon Park's le legacy. So if you mention yeah. Gordon Park's, my name is going to come up. People like Robert Houston, who's from Baltimore, he shot um, Martin Luther King's uh, The Poor People's Campaign. You know, he's tied to... Going parts because going parts hired him for his first freelance job. You know, this guy still lives over in Lock Raven. He's like 70 something years old, and you might, he's still out shooting, hmm. you know. And legacy wise, that's another thing as an artist that gives a good, have a good legacy. You know, that's why it's about doing that good community work aspect too that makes you happy. It makes me happy doing it, but also just knowing that the bigger I get, the bigger platform the next generation can step on. But like, oh, Baltimore's not known for photographers. Well, they had Devin Allen and, you know, and he gave me my first camera, that's a stamp for them, you know? And right. it's just like about passing that torch, you know, on to the next generation cool so they don't die with me. Yep. Yeah, that's a good segue because I think, you know, you work with kids a lot, we know that, and you've talked a little bit about it here, but I'm wondering how you approach those, um, you know, workshops and yep. what what the kids respond to most, you know, is it, is it you speaking? Is it your experience? Is it getting to play with cameras? Like, how do you approach it and then what works best? I shoot Steph Curry. That's 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 the that's game breaker that's, right there. That door opener. Kids are yeah, simple. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can go talk to kids. Like, um, I would talk to kids and tell them my story, and then they're like, "Oh, cool. What's time?" And then I'm like, "All right, well, mm, right. what do what do I have? Well, I shoot for Anama, like the Anama. Like, yeah, like, I go to Asia with Steph Curry. I've been shooting for like four years. I want to shoot Steph Curry. You think I can do it? I'm like, sure. He's like, well. Then they, they end. Right, That's sold. Right. As soon as I tell them I work for Under Armour, it's, it's sold. It's right. locked and loaded. But um, working with the kids, is this, these kids, they just don't understand. It's not off, art is not offered to, to us in the school system, which is really sad. Like, like even for like this, one of the high schools I went to, my mom graduated in the 70s from the same high school. When I, and then I ended up going to the same high school. We was using the same textbooks. I brought a textbook home. I'm like, y'all still using these? Like, wow. That's Baltimore City school system. Yeah. So like doing like workshops and stuff, like definitely what I know I'm doing, like going into the schools, like I, I love that because that's inspiration, you know, like mm -hmm. being able to like me and Kate, you know, um, producer from Under Armour, we went down to St. Francis and talked to some kids about just production and photography and they was hooked, you know, but they won't get that in the school system. Yeah. They don't even know produ being a producer is even a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I you know, it's probably a symptom of literally the Baltimore school system, but I, I don't recall ever having that sort of very specific trade come in and talk. Like, uh, from my standpoint, like I always say, like if I had known there was something as like graphic design mm -hmm. back in high school, which right. I didn't, I my life might have been a little, the trajectory might have been a little more a little gradual, or a little more yeah. different. So I think just bringing any kind of like real world trade to to a younger audience. Um, is very important. And I, I would argue like there's a lot of kids just outside of here that don't get that. Right. And I think, I think stuff like that needs to be a part of like curriculums now, you know, like they need to be in school because a lot of kids still going to school and then never use that trade anyway. Right. Yeah. We like you know? to, back to your point about yeah. life, life skills and yeah. something you can do forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's I think cool. visual arts is something that becomes really, really lucrative the longer we go here in this, in this world, you know, and that's something that's being reduced in schools and has been for years. So it's kind of bizarre. Yeah. You're turning everybody into like robots. Yeah. But it's like, if you think about history, just in general, you know, like what Hitler did, you know, he burnt all that, the Jews, all their artwork, you know, why did he do that? Because art is powerful. Right. You know, it's very powerful. Very true. 
Real quick, if you can, what are your f- top three or four shoots from the last two years? My top three shoot for the last two years? Two years. Let's call it two years. Okay, ever. okay let's do ever. ever. Right. Let's do ever. Do you ever? Um, top three. Top three. I'm going to go for Forge 96. That's like my baby. Like the first four shoot, that was my baby. That's great stuff. You know, I got to incorporate Baltimore artists. I got to shoot in Baltimore. You know, I got to do the color and the look. Like, I loved it. That was like, I really got to, that's something I really got to, I think, really sink my teeth into and, like and really work on. And for the audience, the, um, that that is a shoe. That was a lifestyle shoot. Yes. For uh, the brand Under Armour. Yeah, for right. our, our Chunky dad shoe to go with the rest of the trends in the world and a chunky shoe, 90 right. shoe, chunky right. shoe. And I um, got to build a story around Kevin, which was super awesome and tied back to Baltimore. That's great. Loved it. Um, I think my second, my second shoot would probably have to be shooting Gary for Buzzfeed, you know, um, really building it. That was the first time I really spent so much time with a person. We really built a connection and, and, uh, really dive into a person's, personal space and be they allow me to come you know in that space as a photographer and be comfortable enough to like take down that guard you know allow me into his house and meet his family and stuff like that that was probably probably number number two and number three is always gonna be just shooting my daughter always (laughs) always shooting my daughter they're probably my top three i really want to put the uprising into like document all that stuff because that 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 work that i created was just you know as an artist just reflecting what was going on around me. And I, I did it for the city, not for me. Yep. Gotcha. Uh, okay. I think now uh, is a good time to get into the creative house. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. So I know we've talked about this stuff, but this is, you know, when somebody turns this podcast off after they hear the three things that you're about to tell them, they're going to be ready to go and sort of on their way to becoming something like you. So what are the top three uh, pieces of advice or tips or, uh, Instagram handles or anything you think that the that somebody should should learn right away. Um, number one, this is the biggest thing that all artists, I think, definitely new generation artists are coming in. Do not get caught up in likes and followers or any of that. It's not always going to be there. Don't let it give you anxiety. Don't think that your art is bad because you're not getting likes or not getting amount of retweets. It will drive you crazy and mad trying to understand Instagram's algorithms and how they keep changing them. Just because you don't have a followers, don't don't let don't let that stop you from creating. Create from the heart. Have fun with it. Be the best artist you can be. Do not let that dictate how you move because it's not going to end pretty. You'll go crazy trying to follow social media and understand it. I'm going to take that advice for the podcast. It's driving me insane. Yeah. You can, it is weird. You can touch, you know, you can touch one person and that's a good job right there. You never know how you're going to change a person's life. So don't, you can have, and then then also a lot of people are buying followers. You can buy likes. So it's like, it's not, it's not what it used to be anyway. So don't get caught up in that. Um, Number two, number two, I'm going to have to go with, it's never too late. You know, I think a lot of people like to put a time stamp on everything based off of what other people were able to do in that short period of time. It's never too late to start. And, you know, and I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of artists, but I'm too old to get out there and do this and do that. You're never too old. You're never too old to start your brand. It's never too late to rebrand yourself. 
you know, it's never too late to start over and start from scratch. So like always, if you want to do this, just, just understand that, just keep going. Don't let anything stop you. And it's never too late, you know, to switch gears and do other things. And then uh, my final thing is study. Like, I think a lot of people, definitely artists, feel like, uh, you know, because it's they're, they're, they're creating from, from wherever that inspiration comes from. Study what's already out in the world. If you want to be the best painter, study other painters. Even if you, you know, like, you're not into photography, study photography. Every different art form has something unique that it can teach you. You know, I learned my compositions from painters. You know, I learned how to... F- I learned how to frame and hang stuff from painters. You know, um, you. I learned how to build mood boards from art directors. I, I learned from all different mediums. So, like, study, 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 study. You know, and I'm a slot. This is part of studying. Don't be proud to ask for help and ask for mentors to teach you. You know, you can't do it on your own. Just that it takes a village. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one of my three things. Those are three powerful things. Yeah. And probably not just fence to photography yeah all mediums oh, yeah. and walks of life i kind of want to run through a wall right now <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's never too late is like it's wise beyond yeah years. my dad still tells me that yeah, that that one that, that one that one hit home because yeah. i was that's <laughs> i saw your eyes light up and i was like yeah oh, yeah. yeah i screamed that all through baltimore because a lot of people where i come from feel like it's too it's too late that's I always hear that and it's like Yo, I, I would have did this a little different. And I'm like, why are you not doing it? He's like, man, it's too late. I'm too old for that. I got bills and stuff like that. It's like, you can find a way. You know, it's like, yeah, just right. don't be lazy. Yeah. You can find a way. That's great. So what's next, man? What's next? Uh, Filmmaking? Right now, I'm getting into installation art. So I'm building an installation really soon and getting into like performance art. And um, this year is all about selling artwork. Performance art? Yeah, performance art. Like it's, it's a thing. You know, I've been, I've been studying. You're uh, the performer or you're shooting it? No, I'm actually going to be the performer. Uh-oh. I want to oh, okay. hear about this yeah. a little bit. I can't right? tell you. I can't, oh, tell wow. you. Oh, okay. I can't tell you, but I've been studying um, Marina, godmother of performance. Her name is Marina. Okay. If you just YouTube her, I've been watching all her docs and, and, and studying her. She's a very powerful artist, real Russian woman, real big in the feminist space, but amazing performance. And performance art really got big in like the 60s. So it's like one of those things that's still fresh. Yeah. Just like I love photography because it's still fresh and ever evolving. Performance art is something that's now being taken really seriously. You know, and it's in the MoMA and like people are really doing it now. So I want to be like, oh, this is a new space for me. I just want to do it. So um, that's that's the biggest thing. My next show is going to be in Baltimore. It's called Spaces of the Unentitled. And just looking at uh, the landscape, uh, the changing landscape of Baltimore. So I'm actually going to build an installation at a museum and everything. So trying to just expand my mediums, you know, so I can sell and then sell more art and then eventually live off of it. <laughs> I feel like the performance art thing is foreshadowing of episode two with Devin Allen. Yeah. That, the Creative that's, How podcast. We're gonna, this is called a, yeah, a cliffhanger. Guest. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, hey, man, thanks so much. This is a, an amazing, amazing oh, conversation. Um, how can people find and follow you? Why don't you give the rundown of the sites and the handles and things like that? Okay. Yeah, one thing I can tell you, I'm not, I love, I told you, I told, like, don't follow social media, but I love social media because of the human interaction. So I don't have a website, but my work is always on on my social media handle at B-Y-D-V-N-L-L-N. It's the same name on Twitter and everything else. All I'm right. real big awesome. on social media. You ever want to talk, shoot me a DM. I try to respond to all of them. I have a lot, but you are, and and, yeah. and so much so that we are able to almost like just track your whereabouts. track where you are, and like, is he going to be here next week? Because yeah. like, you know, 
I'll literally see you one day and then you pop up in Seattle. I'm like, that guy can teleport. Wow. Yeah. Stay, try to stay <laughs> as good busy flights. as possible. Yeah. That's good. Thanks, Devin. Thank you. Well, we could have spent a lot of time on Devin's origin story, which is really, really amazing, but it's been covered in sort of many media outlets and, um, we didn't want to do that because this is creative how, and we wanted to tell you how this evolving photographer and artist, uh, is honing his craft and becoming great. It's really interesting because he's very strategic. He's about his personal brand and five years in past everything that kind of launched him into this. He's really focused on just becoming a better photographer every day. So again, folks, I hope you enjoyed, uh, check out the show notes at creativehowpodcast.com, And obviously, Keep following us on Instagram and Twitter, Creative How Pod. And also, don't forget to uh, like us on Apple Podcasts, write a review, drop us a rating. Uh, don't be shy with that. Uh, you know, we can definitely use it. And if you enjoy this show and uh, keep it going, get us up there in the ratings. Subscribe, smash the like, smash. ratings, reviews. Come on, smash please help us out. Like. We want to keep knocking this out for you. See you next time. Hey, Jed, did you hear our kick-ass intro music? Shockingly, that's out of our technical wheelhouse here at Creative How. That type of sick sound design is a White Noise Lab original. White Noise Lab is a music composition and sound design studio that works with agencies, production companies, and brands on projects for film, broadcasts, interactive websites, corporate videos, video games, and experimental projects. The chances that that movie trailer you just saw on you know YouTube that's probably a White Noise Lab original more often than not. So whether you're looking to fulfill your sound design needs or simply need someone to collaborate with on an experimental project or maybe an experimental podcast, check out whitenoiselab.com. That's whitenoiselab.com.